if you try and get people to prepare by scaring them and telling them all the ways that they can die and all the disasters are happening, they won't prepare, they'll freeze because fear causes people to freeze. The way to motivate people to prepare is to say, you can protect those things that you value most, your family, your property, your peace of mind. And that, those are much better motivators to help people prepare. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall and honored to be joined by Keith Tanner. Uh, maybe that name sounds familiar to you. Maybe it doesn't. Um, the way that this episode came about is uh, I was visiting with my father who said, you know who you need to have on your show? Keith Tanner. And I said, go on, Dad. What do you know? And he said... Well, emergency preparedness, this guy, I think he called you a nerd. So I hope that that doesn't cause uh, some some bad blood between you and my father, Keith. But he, he said, you're sort of a, an emergency preparedness nerd. And I said, I love nerds. Let's get him into the cultural hall. So welcome. Thank you for being here. I refer to myself as an introverted computer nerd. <laughs> and, and in high school, things- In high school, they hadn't invented computers yet. So (laughs) being a computer nerd without computers just caused me a lot of ridicule ridicule in high school. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to get into uh, emergency preparedness, and we'll certainly get into that because that's something that we haven't, I think, addressed enough of, uh, certainly here in the cultural hall. But I want to get an idea of of who you are. Tell me uh, where you're from, uh, what you do professionally, all, all those sort of background, interesting, you know, who is Keith Tanner sort of things. I was born and raised in Salt Lake County, lived here my entire life, other than two years to a mission to uh, Manitoba, Canada. Okay. Uh, professionally, I've been a computer programmer, a system analyst for 40 years. St- still employed or are you retired? Still employed. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, and then you get this glorious calling around emergency preparedness. Talk to me about what, uh, how that came about. My wife and I were called as a couple about seven years ago. We had just finished a mission or service in the Salt Lake County Jail for five years, and they were looking for something for us to do. And we became ward emergency preparedness specialists. After doing that for four years, we were so successful, we were made stake emergency preparedness specialists, which we still have that calling after seven years. When we were called, we knew that emergency preparedness would not suddenly become everybody's top priority. So if we were to be successful, we knew we had to make it simple, fast, and low cost. Mm -hmm. So we have come up with ideas where if you'll just spend five to 10 minutes a week doing these step-by-step tasks, after two years, you'll be fairly well prepared for emergencies. Well, and I'm excited to to talk about like how that, uh, you know, those sort of guiding principles of how you decided to engage in this calling and then certainly magnify that calling uh, came about. But I'm curious, you said you served in the jail. Tell me about that experience. Our stake was over... The women in the Salt County Jail and the Metro Second Branch, my wife was the Relief Society teacher. So once a week, I would go to Relief Society, (laughs) which was wonderful to be there. I was, even though I'm skinny, I was her bodyguard. (laughs) (laughs) 
It was a very spiritually uplifting experience where we felt the atonement of Jesus Christ, where we came to see inmates who had done terrible things in the same way God sees them, mm. as loving children he wants back. When you get that call to serve in the jail, we've, uh, if you know, um, he's a state representative or maybe state senator, Jim Dunnigan. He's a previous guest here in the cultural hall who has served in the jail for a while. You know, he talks about um, that this is really a, a way that you can see the atonement walked out. You can see people really accept uh, Jesus Christ and be able to follow him, you know, and almost see that person's countenance change overnight or certainly in the time that they're there. When you get that call to serve in the jail, was there some resistance, some hesitancy, some scare? Trepidation. You know, yeah. Every week as my wife walked into the jail, I was shocked. She's a woman of faith and she did it. When we were called, they said, as hard as it is to get you to accept this calling, it will be harder for us to get you to uh, quit. And that was <laughs> true. We loved it by the end, but there was trepidation to start with. What do you think what do you think it is that makes it because I've heard that and I think Jim reflected the same thing is what what do you think it is that makes it so hard? When, when that time is done, because I think he, I think he, uh, as I recall, shared an experience that he had served in one ward. And then when he got moved, he was like, is there any way I can go back to serve in the jail and, and be able to do that? What is it about that unique calling um, that draws people to, to want to do it for so long? Because there are some, and we can be honest, there are some callings where you're like, man, the day I can get released, let's move on and do something else. It's similar to going on a mission. You know, when I went on my mission, I had never been away from my mother, didn't know if I could cook or do my own laundry, but I came to love the people so much that when I came home, it was a heartbreaker. I longed to be there, similar with the sisters in the jail. You love who you serve. Is it a vulnerability because of the, the situation that they're in, or is it just because it takes that extra amount of love that maybe we don't get? as being ministering brothers or sisters or, or something else? Those who are coming to the church meetings in the jail, many of them have hit bottom. Mm -hmm. In the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son, when he came to himself, when he saw he was eating corn husk, he had hit bottom and he was ready to change. And many sisters in the jail are in that position. Not all of them. There's a lot of Unrepentant people in the jail, but those that come out to the church meetings are choice. Hmm. So, so you get the call to be emergency preparedness for the ward, and I'm curious: were you guys uh, a, an emergency prepared couple or family beforehand, or was this, you know, you're kind of getting the calling that you know you need the most because you haven't done anything in this? <laughs> we had done nothing with emergency preparedness. That is almost nothing. We had some food storage. But what probably led the Spirit to call us is we had been very active in our neighborhood. For the past 30 years, my wife and I have done outreach programs in our neighborhood. We've been over Neighborhood Watch. We've done a neighborhood newsletter. Uh, we've done now emergency preparedness newsletters. Uh, for 30 years, this is our 30th year doing it, we are hosting our neighborhood yard sale where uh, everybody in the neighborhood who does yard sales, we do it together and we're so much more successful because of that. We put out a neighborhood directory for 30 years where people trust us with their information so we can let neighbors get to know each other. 
And so they wanted to have emergency preparedness be not just a church thing, but a neighborhood thing. Mm -hmm. As far as not knowing anything about it, my specialty is I'm a simplification expert. As a system analyst, it's my job to help my company do things faster, easier, quicker. And so what we did to develop our plan is we read all of the material that we could get from the American Red Cross. We read the FEMA website. KBYU TV has 20 Turidi videos. We watched all of them. Um, Be Ready Utah has their expo that they put on most most years. We've gone to that many times over the last seven years. There's a website called Do One Thing, D-O-1-T-H-I-N-G.com. They put out a monthly newsletter saying, here's four different things you could do this month to prepare, and then newspaper articles. And as a simplification expert, I took all of that information, consolidated down into step-by-step um, things that people could do so that after two years, you have done the basics in a simple, low-cost manner. So you talked about, and I think that this is a thing that we see within the church quite a bit, is there there are things, and I liken maybe emergency preparedness like family history, where someone starts talking about family history and we know that it's important. We know that it's a value. We know that our life will be blessed if we'll embrace the things that are being taught. But but sometimes we just go, yeah, not today, not not this thing. I've got kids that are this. I've got plans that are this, calling that ha- requires this, job that this and the other thing. And so we sort of put those on, uh, you know, I, I I almost said back burner, but sometimes we don't even have them on the burner at all. We just say, I'll get to it at some other time and don't do it. Do you, to the people that recognize, oh, hey, this is something that I should do haven't done anything, are like what you were seven years ago, how do you encourage them to even see that this is a a need, uh, an important thing for them to do, so that they'll even do some of these very simple steps? In addition to our monthly newsletters that we have that talk about the what of emergency preparedness, I have a fifth Sunday lesson that I've created that talks about the why. In this lesson, we have quotes from all of the presidents of the church from, um, we go back as far as Ezra Taft Benson talking about emergency preparedness, that it should be done. We also put it in perspective in that the general authorities talk about spiritual preparedness about 20 times as much as temporal preparedness. Mm. And so when they get the what, The Spirit testifies to them that this is true and it's right. And normally church leaders have felt prompted that it was the time for their ward or stake to prepare. And so we tell them to follow their local prophets and the living prophets and they become much more receptive. But the key is if it's low cost and simple and doesn't take a lot of time, then they're much more apt to do it. Also, oh, go ahead. Latter-day Saints are very loving and kind. One of the biggest reasons to do emergency preparedness is so that when disasters happen, we're in a position to help our neighbors. And Latter-day Saints are very open to that. When we reached out to our neighbors and put a flyer on every single door, I was shocked how interested people who don't come to church with us are in emergency preparedness. They were twice as interested as faithful, active Latter-day Saints. 
However, when it came to invite people to come to the uh, city cert training, we had far more people from the church act uh, willing to come out and get, do the search training so that they could help their neighbors. What is that training? Um, <clears throat> it is a nationwide um, cert is community emergency response team, and it's done by FEMA and it's nationwide. Uh, we have done it several times through the city where we live and they it's free. So we get, oh, let's see. originally it was free. Then they started to charge a small fee later on to cover the cost of the overtime for the firemen who were teaching it. Mm -hmm. And originally it was a seven week course and was much more effective than for cost reduction. They shortened it up and it wasn't near as effective. So <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done food training lately through our city. Is that uh, is that where you get like uh, your block captains and 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 those kind of things? Is that what I'm thinking of? Is that cert training? Cert training is training of individuals. Okay. Years ago, our ward used to have block captains, but we found that to be very problematic. If you have a calling tree or some kind of block captain situation where you have to notify all of them, they may not be available. They may have moved, or they may be. Um, out of commission because of the emergency. And so if any one node in the tree is unavailable, it falls down. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we have uh, been so trustworthy in our neighborhood that 80% of the people in our neighborhood trust us with their email addresses. Mm -hmm. So I can send down an email blast to everyone in the neighborhood. What is better, though, is the church has in their member tools the ability to send out email blasts and cell phone text message blasts. Mm -hmm. And what's nice about that feature is when someone replies, they don't get the reply to everybody on the distribution list, which is really problematic with uh, normal cell phone blasts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if anyone in the bishopric, clerks, or I are available, any of us can send out the information to everybody all at once, and there's no nodes in the tree to break down. I want to drill down on this idea of trust within the community because I think we're in a unique position in, in the state of Utah, maybe certainly in the Jello Belt, the Intermountain West, where um, there are those that are you know within the church and those that are not within the church. And there there does seem to be... I guess the best way to call it is some trust issues, right? In that we say, hey, we're doing this event, we're doing this program, um, we're doing this community. And because uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is so missionary-minded, there are some times where we are doing those with a missionary purpose and intention, and, and there have been people that feel like they've been burned by that, or they're trying to be tricked into a thing. How do you, um, how do you establish that trust with the people in the community to say, hey, you know what? It's just about preparedness. Trust us with your information. We're not going to be sending you, you know, church invites on a Sunday morning or something like that. My wife and I have been doing our neighborhood outreach for 30 years. It has not been associated with our callings because over those 30 years, we have had many, many different callings. And you're right that there have been some phony outreach programs. And so, Latter-day Saints tend to be guilty until proven innocent as far as the trust goes. Right. So we have made 
doing things right and being trustworthy, one of our top priorities. And after 30 years, they, they trust us. It's amazing that they'll give us their personal information for our directory and they'll give me their email addresses and they'll participate. Um, as far as being nice to somebody in hopes that they'll join the church, that's really not the correct attitude that I'm doing something great for you to help save your soul. Christ taught the second great commandment is that we are to love our neighbors. So I go out and love my neighbors as if my salvation depends upon it because it does. I'm mm -hmm. trying to save my soul and that makes it legitimate. Yeah, yeah that's pretty powerful. I, I want to take a quick break real quick. Uh, when we come back, I want to pick it up right where we're leaving it off right here with that idea of community. We'll come back and we'll do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Hey, you guys wanted to talk to you about a new voice app on the Amazon Alexa. It's made by the church, that is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's geared for kids and grandkids aged 4 to 11. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill, and it allows your kids to play the Friend Magazine from an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Now, here's what's cool about it. Each month, it's going to include new stories and new music from the Friend Magazine. It's, uh, you know, a thing that your kids, they know what it is. In fact, if you said, hey, kids, enable the Friend Magazine skill, they've already done it before you even ask them. And the best part is it's free. It's built by the church. So there is no advertisements or any content that you need to worry about. And it's a fun, great way to help your kids learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill be sure to enable it on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll tell the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always reach out to us, contact at theculturalhall.com. If there is a subject or a guest you feel like we should address here, would love to hear from you, especially if you have contact with whatever uh, that subject or individual that you feel like we should talk with is. It's contact at theculturalhall.com and would love to have that conversation. So uh, why is community so important to you? You've been doing this community outreach for 30 years. It's not a part of a calling. You mentioned it maybe a little uh, in that you feel like it's it's part of your salvation. Is there something more to it or is it strictly, you know, following God's command to love your neighbor? Every church calling I've had has taught me to learn a different principle. When years ago, when I became a home teaching supervisor, I gained a testimony of home teaching. And so I did that better. What, we, what my calling was 30 years ago is I was a stake missionary and said, okay, I need to go learn how to reach out to my neighbors and started to do that. What was embarrassing as the day I got this calling to be a stake missionary, I had had two neighbors move in the week before and I had not even gone by and said hi to them. And I went, really? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's how I learned to reach out. And it's just continued over the next 30 years. And 
Do you, and, do you think that the idea of community uh, is sort of a lost art? Yes. On the media, they tell you all the times that you should fear your neighbors. You shouldn't trust your neighbors, that they'll scam you. They'll uh, steal your stuff. And so to go out as a true neighbor and say, if we work together, if we trust each other, if we have a neighborhood watch, we'll be far safer than if we all hide in our basements. <laughs> but 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 how, knowing that that is the narrative, certainly that people get shared and whether it's the media or it's just because, you know, maybe people aren't inclined to to be that that kind of social in a community sense. Um I mean, that that is a tough road to hoe to get people to be like, trust me and get to know your neighbors and we can all be safer if we work together. People, especially post-COVID, you know, we our circles have gotten that much smaller. How do you break down? How do you break down those walls and say, hey, no, we are better together? How our neighborhood outreach got started over 30 years ago was not with my wife and I. As a stake missionary, we went around to the people in our ward and said, we know that just because we're stake missionaries doesn't mean that missionary work is everyone's top priority. So we would like you to pray and ask, Heavenly Father, what would you like me to do to touch the lives of those around me? Some people got a prompting to do better in their church calling, to minister to Latter-day Saints. Some people got the prompting they needed to spend more time with their families. But our bishop and a lady named Rita Bellamy got a distinct impression that they needed to start a neighborhood newsletter for a neighborhood. And those two people had this calling from God to do it. And as they reached out to me and everyone else, you could just feel their love and how genuine they were, and people accepted it. She started having parties in the park. She's the one who started the neighborhood watch. She started the neighborhood directory. So as hard as it is for us to continue those things on, it was much harder to get them started. But it was a real calling from God, not just a church calling. Mm. You know, I think about it, too, and I think of— um some of the best friends that I've had in the various neighborhoods that I have lived in. And there are certainly those friends that I have from my worshiping, you know, those that are in my ward, but in, in every single neighborhood case, one of my very best friends has been someone who has been in proximity, who's not a member of the church, who I just said, you know what, you are my, like in, in my particular house. Now, my neighbor across the street, not a member of the church, one of the greatest guys who would help me anytime day or night, just the sweetest, most sincere individual. And the way that we got connected is I said, I went to his house, very uncomfortable. I said, hey, I'm your neighbor across the street. I'm never moving again. So you're stuck with me. Nice to meet you. And, you know, anytime he's out, we sort of take the opportunity to talk with one another. Uh, we brought him food. He's helped us out. And, it, and, and to me, it just it feels better. It feels more comfortable. And I guess in a way, if I want to take it one step further, it feels more Christ-like than if I just went, I don't know who that person is. I don't know what their story is. I don't care about who they are. Just let them not bother me. That that seems sort of anti-Christ. So for emergency preparedness, I'm now working with all of the words in my stake. Plus, when I gave a workshop at the Be Ready Utah Expo a year ago, mm -hmm. I'm helping people get started with emergency preparedness. What I recommend to them is that they send out a 
print a copy of a flyer and just say, some people have suggested we work on emergency preparedness as a neighborhood. What do you think? And it has their name at the bottom and you're asking for them to say what what they think. Mm -hmm. When I did that in my neighborhood, I didn't have a single person reply during that month. And we really didn't have that many people saying we ought to do it. It was the bishop and my wife and I, but you know, that is some people. Mm -hmm. So then the next month I send out our first newsletter with content saying enough people think preparing as a neighborhood is a good idea. So we're going to put out a, a newsletter. And we just started with the first content newsletter and kept it going. And I was shocked out of all of the things we've done in our neighborhood, this is the second most positive uh, received thing in the neighborhood. Number one is our yard sale, and that's because everybody loves money. The yeah. emergency <laughs> preparedness has been number two. If you will exercise your faith and reach out, I believe you'll have the same kind of reception we did in our neighborhood. So anyone, anywhere you feel like it's possible for any individual, anywhere where they are, wherever in the world, to be able to do this? If you're scared, you can sneak around in the middle of the night and leave this uh, note on their door. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're not even contacting people directly. And you can just see how how it works out. In our neighborhood, we did a straw poll and we ran down and said, are, neighborhood, are these newsletters helping you? Are you preparing for emergencies? And we were shocked that 50% of the people were preparing. That's incredible. If we could get them to prepare enough to take care of one extra family, then our whole neighborhood will be covered. Yeah. So so walk this out. You said at the very beginning of this whole thing that uh, being a systems analyst, you're able to look at things and go, here is maybe some extra fluff that we can cut that out. Here are some things that we can do to make this doable. And your assertion was that if we started today, we're recording this in early March 2023, that by early March 2025, we could be prepared. Yes, absolutely. So so give me so give me an idea like what this is broken out into weekly steps, I presume. Give me give me yes. an idea of and we don't have to go in order. It doesn't have to be like the first step, but maybe we start there and give me some of the different um, things that I would be working on within a week so I can really get an idea of what it is that you're saying. What was interesting about developing these 22 newsletters is when we started out, we didn't know where we were going. Every month we would just pray and say, Heavenly Father, what should we do next month? And now that we have the plan, it's incredible. It looks like it was organized from top down, but it was really just a month by month uh, step by faith. Mm -hmm. In the first year, we take the 11 newsletters and we take December off. There's only 11 newsletters per year to, to do a 72 hour kit or an emergency preparedness kit. And if you take the entire year, that's very reasonable. The second year is specific disasters. When we go through the different things that can happen in our area and we say, not only how do we prepare for them, but we give them a survival guide that if they haven't done anything to prepare, if they keep that newsletter and something happens, they can revert to that survival guide and be much better off than if they didn't have any information. 
So if I so if I have so if I'm understanding then within the first year I'm just sort of developing a 72 hour kit and the reason why you break it up and kind of and and draw it out over that year is because if you came to me and said, "Hey, do you have a 72 hour kit and you need to make sure you have enough water and you got the clothes and the food and all that stuff," that quickly my eyes gloss over and I go, "Too much. I don't have time for this. I'll do it another time." Yes, and you'll have holes in it. Okay. We bought a 72-hour kit years ago just because we were saying, oh, we ought to do something and that will make us feel good. When we got into it and looked, it didn't have near the amount of stuff that you really need to survive three days without utilities. So so it's things like, uh, give, give me one of the weak assignments. Let's walk it out and, uh, and give me an idea of how this, how really attainable, how um, simplified this is. The first month on on a 72-hour kit, week number one is commit to create a 72-hour kit. You can do that in a few seconds. The assignment for week two is decide where you're going to keep it. The very best place for your 72-hour kit is if you own a motorhome or a trailer and you can camp on your property. Mm. Then you'll have a shower and a stove and a refrigerator and all the comforts of camping. Third week is to realize that there are going to be some costs. So you start saving month by month. And the fourth one is um, don't borrow from your kit because if you take stuff out of it because you're using it during the year, you won't have it when you need it. So so, so what I love and what I'm hearing is, I mean, that first week, it's, it's, not, it's not really, I mean, it is doing something and it may be one of the most powerful steps, but I don't have to go buy anything. I don't have to gather anything. I'm not worried about if something fits or if it's nutritious or if I'll eat it or whatever. It's the deciding, are we going to do this thing? And whether that's a conversation with just yourself, if you're a single individual, you and your partner, if you're married or you and your family, it's just that sort of commitment to this whole thing. And, and and like you mentioned, that can be very quick. Am I going to do this? Yes, I am. Or if there's some things that stand in the way of you being able to commit right away, it's maybe a process that you're working through, but that's it. It's not bleaching your water and making sure that your bottles aren't BPA and blah, 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 and all that. It's just a simple, attainable, but very powerful decision that you make week one. The first few newsletters are the simplest of them all. You can actually do the entire newsletter in about five minutes, not five minutes per week, but five minutes for the whole month. Mm -hmm. Where this comes from is President Russell M. Nelson gave a talk on the principles of Newton's laws of motion. And he says, objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Objects in motion tend to stay at motion. So we make our first few newsletters so simple in hopes that people will take the first tiny baby steps because if they just get in motion, we can trick them into doing it all for two years because they come to believe they can do it. <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, you get that, you get that inertia, you get that, those tiny wins that um, probably scientifically, though I've never researched it, I would imagine are some sort of like chemical, uh, like a hit going, oh yeah, I did this thing. I said I was going to do this thing. I did this thing. That feels good. Can I do another thing? Oh, I did that thing. And it does, it just gives you that sort of movement to doing that. Give, walk out one of the harder ones for me. So maybe we skip a few newsletters ahead and we go months down the road. Give me one that maybe I'm I'm doing some actual things in my my 72-hour kit and, and give me an idea of what one of those weeks would look like. 
Well, one of the harder ones is actually the very next newsletter. I okay. asked the question, in an emergency, what's the first thing you're going to need? It's not food. You can survive about a week without food. It's not water. You can survive about three days without water. The very first thing you're going to need in an emergency is an emergency toilet. And if you have children, you can't go more than an hour or two before you have a second emergency on your hands that you got to take care of. <laughs> so we talk about how you can get a five-gallon bucket. They make plastic seat covers that are nice and how you can cut down on the smell by either using cat litter or pine shavings and how vital that is. That's the very first thing you ought to put into your 72-hour kit. So, so walked out because I, as I understand it, these can also, you know, they're newsletters, but they could also, if you had like a community Facebook page, it could be it, uh, the post of the week, right? A, an assignment that comes out kind of in a post. So what, what is the actual, like, how do you phrase that? How do you, what are the, what are the words that you use for that particular assignment of figuring out my toilet? Well, the monthly steps for that week are number one is. First things first, I just say it's important. The second week is you gather the supplies and we list the materials needed. The third one is third week, you just assemble the toilet. And then for the fourth week, we say you can gather other bathroom items if you want, like soap and uh, hand cleaner and uh, toothbrush and toothpaste and those other items. And in every month, we have an extra credit. That's because in our effort to make things simple, mm -hmm. sometimes you'll be a lot better off if you do extra credit. And so we say you can get camping supplies for shaving, showering, and laundry. Personally, I can go a week without shaving, showering, and <laughs> doing my laundry, and I don't care. But, you know, my wife, she likes to stay a little nicer. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I could go the rest of my life without shaving if it were socially acceptable, but... <laughs> But that's neither here nor there. So so people engage this. I would imagine you get people from all across the spectrum, people that have um, done this before and are mildly prepared, sort of know some of the things, but you bring some things that maybe they hadn't considered previously, and they're grateful for that. I would imagine you get some people that kind of walk alongside you and are like, this is a great plan, and we've already got ours, and let's help other people. But then I bet you get people that have never thought and done anything around this. What is their response as you walk them from being a non-prepared to a fully prepared individual? Like I said earlier, half the people in our neighborhood said, we're not preparing. And that's normal to have 100% participation in anything. Mm -hmm. That's uh, uh, unrealistic. But, you know, we help people prepare. Now, the, the key is, is after we went through this plan for the first year, after two after the first time, after two years, we went back in and we redid the entire plan over again to our neighborhood. The reason is, is emergency preparedness is a marathon, not a sprint. You can't do it in just one night and then say you're done. Mm -hmm. And so we repeat it over a second time and a third time. And now we're actually in our fourth time being in this for seven years, so that as they go through the information over and over, they can say, hey, I skipped this that first time. I need to go fill in this blank. Or maybe now I'm in a position where I can do the extra credit items and get better prepared. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think the hardest thing for people as far as emergency preparedness is? Uh, believing that it'll ever happen. 
So they think that it's all for naught. They are preparing for a thing that'll never happen. Sure. I mean, I'm lived for decades, my whole life. I have never been in a major emergency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so then, so then what makes you, what makes you so compelled? So, so passionate about this? Cause I mean, you've never had to use it. You've never, you know, needed it. So why? It's the principles said by the prophets in this fifth Sunday lesson, where we talk about the why we talk, we ask the discussion question, why does the church prepare? And it says they prepare because they are dealing with emergencies all the time around the world. Mm-hmm. And we say, why should we prepare? And the answer is the church cannot take care of everyone. If even if they had food and supplies for us, if there's broken bridges from an earthquake or downed trees from a winter storm, they may not even be able to get you that um, those materials. We also prepare so that we can help others. And uh, one powerful quote from Ezra Taft Benson is he said, it is the father's job to provide for the physical needs for their family. And part of that is to lay up in store in case of an emergency. Mm -hmm. This comes from the famous quote where he says, laying up in store may become as important to our temporal salvation as it was boarding the ark in the days of Noah. And it is the father's responsibility in the family proclamation. It says fathers are to provide for their families. And if there's an emergency and my children were suffering because I hadn't done my God-given duty, that would break my heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we're in a unique position here in the state of Utah. Certainly there are people listening to this all over uh, the country and all over the world. You know, people in Florida that have to deal with hurricanes recently, uh, you know, Kentucky and flooding. And there will be all sorts of flooding with the amount of snow and rain and and moisture that we've received this winter in places all across the country. The fires in California, all of these different places. And I know that that those people, um, those members of the church and, and just people at large who have been prepared in those particular communities speak to the peace that comes from being prepared. Talk to me a little bit about that. In my seminars I've attended, they say, if you try and get people to prepare by scaring them and telling them all the ways that they can die and all the disasters are happening, they won't prepare. They'll freeze because fear causes people to freeze. The way to motivate people to prepare is to say, you can protect those things that you value most, your family, your property, your peace of mind. And that, those are much better motivators to help people prepare. Uh, I guess my last question before we take another break is a couple of years ago here in the state of Utah, and I don't want to make this episode Utah-centric, but it is what we both know. We had an earthquake, which we had never had in my whole entire life that I can recall, uh, maybe little ones. But it was something that, uh, if you'll forgive the pun, shook a lot of members of the church here in the state of Utah. Did you find people a lot more uh, willing to hear what you had to say as far as emergency preparedness after uh, that event? That broke the trumpet off the angel Moroni on the top of the Salt Lake Temple. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, and after an emergency, people get lit on a fire and they start to run off and do things, but emergency preparedness shouldn't be a sprint. It's more a marathon. And doing things month by month, year after year, 
keeps you prepared where when people hear about a disaster and they go start to prepare, it seems to be, seems to be short-lived. Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about how people can get these resources from you. Certainly, the wheel has been invented. People don't need to reinvent it. And I want to be able to share um, what you have done with those people that might find themselves in a similar calling or just want to find themselves better prepared for an emergency or or some sort of disaster in their area. We'll come back and we'll do that in the third block of the Cultural Hall. BestDJinUtah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country, uh, but especially here in Utah. Been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at BestDJinUtah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall. Because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Hi, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer, and they start at only $29 a month. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember, you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. It's called putting your money where your ears are. If you go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall for as little as $5 a month, it helps us to do these episodes and be able to accomplish some of the things that we have set for our goals, not only in 2023, but beyond. So please do that. Patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Remember, when you do that, you're able to get the videos of the episodes and you're able to get episodes Uh, sooner than when we put them out on the podcast feed. So patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So uh, it's a lot of work what you've done. Um, A tremendous resource for the people in your ward and in your stake. And uh, we chatted before we started recording that you make this available to just any Yahoo that wants to put this in their place in their uh, neighborhood. Yes. How, I have a small fan club, <laughs> and it how, keeps growing. How do people reach out to you? What's the best way for them to be able to get this? And and is there any sort of charge? Do you any, do anything like that to be able to recoup any of that time or money? No, no charge, never have. The best way to reach out to me is my email address, kwtanner, T-A-N-N-E-R, at gmail.com. And what we have is we have our fifth Sunday lesson materials telling the why of emergency preparedness. We have our 22 neighborhood newsletters talking about the what. And then we have a one page page summary that shows all of the steps from all of the weeks and all of the months. And those are those are non-copyrighted materials free. Feel free to change them. I would ask that you put your neighborhood on the top of the newsletters rather than mine (laughs) and to put your contact information on the bottom rather than mine. But I put my email address out all the time and I am not inundated with emails that I'd be glad to get more. 
Have there been, we sort of talked about this, but have there been missionary opportunities that have come because of this very um, non-missionary oriented activity? Baptisms, no, but getting people to interact and relate with each other, uh, tremendous. We have wonderful participation from all types of people in our neighborhood. You probably are aware, and I and I know that even though we've walked it out in, um, you know, individual like weekly steps that people can do, there is some cost. Do you have any rough sort of idea if if someone is a as an individual or a couple of two or a family of four, what what it costs to be prepared for or fully prepared or moderately prepared for seventy two hours? The more you spend, the more comfortable you'll be. You can spend $70,000 and buy a motorhome. My sure. wife said I couldn't do that. Yeah. We yeah. ask people to set aside 10 to $20 uh, a month for mm-hmm. these expenses. And if there's something you want that you can't afford, ask for it as a Christmas gift or a birthday gift. Hmm. I, I, I uh, it, it definitely is a thing that, um, just like anything in life, right? It, I mean, it, you really can be like, th- these are your needs being met, and maybe it's a couple hundred bucks to, as you indicate, I've got the solar powered trailer with, you know, wheels that can go all terrain if the roads end up being wrecked and all the, like, it, you can go maybe overboard, do you think? Or is that just uh, your comfort level that you would? maybe put more tw- more money towards it. We have a couple preppers in our neighborhood. Uh-huh. And I think they're weird. <laughs> <laughs> my man told me, you know, I have 250 gallons of water in my basement. I go, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I like that perspective because it, it lets me know that you're, that you're prepared but but yeah, we all know those people or have heard of those people that, you know, they've got the bunker that is full of things and they've got the, you know, they're they're collecting the thousands of gallons of rainwater and they, you know, all those kind of things. But but that isn't what you're saying. You're saying be prepared because these things will happen. It allows you to care for not only those who you have stewardship over, but also maybe be able to help someone else in your community and 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 that and that matters. The start of COVID nineteen pandemic, President Nelson said we should have uh, emergency supplies, and we've been counseled to do that for years. And it shows the wisdom of that counsel. But then he says, "I am far more concerned about your spiritual preparation." Hmm. So so let me ask you that uh, because I think that leads into a, s- sort of a different part of uh, preparedness, you know, these are the very physical things. There are some things that we're just deciding or some things that we're just having conversations with family or our loved ones or whomever we might have stewardship or care for in the event of an emergency thing. Have you ever thought of doing a very similar thing to essentially prepare? And I'm air quoting for people who can't see this, like a 72 hour emergency spiritual preparedness kit. They do that every week in church and twice a year in general conference. The prophets, seers, and revelators are the watchmen on the tower. They can see the enemy while they're afar off. And if you'll follow their counsel, you'll be prepared for what's coming in the future. Before COVID-19 happened and the churches were shut down, the church started the Come Follow Me program and was saying you need to have gospel instruction in your home. Those who followed were prepared. 
and <laughs> yeah, and and to walk that out in the same principles of being physically prepared, I think that there is a piece in being spiritually prepared that uh, that if we if we do that, if we are that spiritually prepared, when there are those times of of trial or turmoil, you know, we we don't get shook as those who are maybe not prepared. Let me ask you, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I will ask those of you right now. The first question is, uh, and I'm pretty sure I got the exact title of it, but do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is that specific calling? I have a lot of callings right now. (laughs) On the ward level, I am the emergency preparedness specialist. I'm also the welfare and self-reliance specialist in the ward In the stake, I am the stake emergency preparedness specialist and the stake welfare and self-reliance specialist. I'm also on the high council. Okay. Okay. Uh, If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I would pick gospel doctrine teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been it, and I would love to do that more than anything else. The trouble with most people is they think they have to say something that people have never heard before, mm-hmm. and that's a misnomer. In our ward, when we have a gospel principles or a gospel essentials class going on, I attend those over gospel doctrine mm-hmm. because you feel the spirit so strongly when you talk about the basic tenets of the gospel. You know, uh, something that that dawned on me uh, as you were talking about your your callings within the ward and in the stake— Certainly what you have provided and that people can email you and be able to get from you is a resource. Where where are the resources within the church that people can find them? Is it in the, in the app? Do they need to go to the website? Are there resources for emergency preparedness, self-reliance, et cetera, that the church provides? On the website, churchofjesuschrist.org, there is an emergency preparedness section It mainly talks about the uh, emergency preparedness plan where -hmm. you identify the potential disasters for your area, come up with a plan to how to handle them. I can't remember all five steps, but those are covered with these newsletters and that we identify what the disasters are and how to handle them. Okay. Um, The final question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, we ask you to interpret it however you would like. The question is, is what is your favorite part of your faith? The favorite part of my faith is every month or two as a member of the high council, I get to speak to a different ward in the stake. And I try very hard to prepare a talk that is doctrinally sound, that the spirit can testify to everything I say. In addition to that, I want to make sure I'm not going to say anything that will hurt more than it helps, because when I'm speaking to a group of believers by the Spirit, that gives me more joy and satisfaction than anything else I do in life. Mm, Pretty powerful. It it may be a reiteration of something that you said earlier, but that person that's sitting on the fence as to whether or not they should be uh, uh, prepared for an emergency or a disaster in their area, take 60 seconds and and help them get off that fence and start walking on that path. Let me do something similar, but not quite exactly what you okay. said there. As part of our Fifth Sunday lesson, we read Second First Nephi chapter 22 
it says, For the time soon cometh that the fullness of the wrath of God shall be poured out upon all the children of men. Most people know about the destructions coming in the latter days, but this verse talks about why God is going to send destructions on the earth. For he will not suffer that the wicked shall destroy the righteous. Wherefore, he will preserve the righteous by his power, even if it so be that the fullness of his wrath must come, and the righteous be preserved even unto the destruction of their enemies by fire. Wherefore, the righteous need not fear. What I'd really like to say is if you will worry about being righteous, you don't need to worry about the destructions coming in the latter days. I love it. Well, we hope, Keith, that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show. You know, sometimes within episodes of the Cultural Hall, we get done and we go, you know what we really should have talked about or another thing that I really wanted to make sure we hit uh, that comes about. And so that's what this is. Uh, Keith, you've been talking all about emergency preparedness and you wanted to make sure that people knew a couple of money saving tips, uh, because I think that that is if people were to be honest, uh, some of it is just laziness as why they don't prepare. <laughs> and then the other part of it is that they fear the cost of it. So I would love to know. In your experience, how can we save a little money as we put this together? Things that I recommend people do that makes me a heretic as far as traditional emergency preparedness gurus is the first one in water. They tell you you ought to buy a large water bar, uh, storage container, 55-gallon drum or something like that. For my wife and I, the recommendation is to have a gallon of water per person per day. So for a three-day, 72-hour kit, we need six gallons. At Costco, you can get a 40-bottle case of water with a half liter in each one. It's five and a half gallons. So for $4, we can get our entire water supply for two, for three days. If you want to go for two weeks, then you have to buy five of them. But that is far less than the cost of buying a big barrel of water. Yep. It's also, you know, it's professionally bottled and it has an expiration date on it. So you know it's good where when you do it yourself, you need to know what you're doing or you're going to have to have a lot of faith to drink your own preserved water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many times have you heard those stories about the big drum of water and something got in or they didn't prepare the the barrel exactly right? And when they open it up, it just smells or is, you know, bacteria ridden or whatever the thing may be. It's a valid point. And if you have to move it, you can move a case of water a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> so that's money saving hack number one. What's number two? People tell you that you have to buy a generator. In our neighborhood, we have 200 homes, and I knew all 200 families would not go out and buy a gas-powered uh, or propane-powered ga propane um, generator. So we came up with a way that you could survive without a generator. The concerns of not having electricity is during the winter, your house will get cold. 
So you can survive quite easily if you get everyone into the same room during the winter. Your inside your home will be about 20 degrees warmer than outside. And if you buy an inexpensive $20 pup tent from Walmart or anywhere else and get inside of that, you will generate enough body heat that you will be toasty warm even though your furnace is not running. Hmm. The concern about living without a generator during the summer is the food in your fridge and your freezer will spoil. Um, so what we do is we plan on not opening the door to our fridge or freezer while the power's out, and that should have the food last for a day or two. And if it goes longer than that and does spoil, the cost of buying a generator is about the cost of the food that we would lose in our fridge and, and freezer. And so we wouldn't be any further behind than if we spent that money on the generator. Getting a generator is also not hassle-free. You need to run it every so often and make sure you know how to do it. There's been times when people have run the generators in their home or in their garage and the fumes have killed them. Yeah, we have to beware, be be user-minded, know what you're doing. And that's the thing, that's the case with anything emergency prepared, right? We have we buy these stoves at the fancy emergency preparedness place, but we've never taken the time to know how they work. So that in the case of an emergency where we need to cook something or or use something, if we haven't taken the time to become familiar with whatever that thing is, we we you know we set ourselves back. So taking also the time to be able to be familiar with what you have prepared, know how to use the items in your seventy-two hour kit. <laughs> good good money saving hacks. I appreciate you sharing those with us.